0: Chapter One of Charlie to the Rescue. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel. Charlie to the Rescue by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter One introduces the hero. To be generally helpful was one of the chief points in the character of Charlie Brooke. He was evidently born to aid mankind. He began by helping himself to everything in life that seemed at all desirable. This was natural, not selfish. At first there were few things, apparently, that did seem to his infant mind desirable, for his earliest days were marked by a sort of chronic crossness that seemed quite unaccountable in one so healthy, but this was eventually traced to the influence of pins injudiciously disposed about the person by nurse. Possibly this experience may have tended to develop a spirit of brave endurance and might perhaps account for the beautiful modifications of character that were subsequently observed in him. At all events, sweet patient amiability was a prevailing feature in the boy long before the years of infancy were over, and this heavenly aspect of him was pleasantly diversified in course of time by occasional displays of resolute we might almost say heroic self-will which proved a constant source of mingled pride and alarm to his widowed mother from a very early period of life little charlie manifested an intense desire purpose and capacity for what may be called his life work of rescuing human beings from trouble and danger it became a passion with him as years rolled on and was among the chief means that brought about the changes in his checkered career appropriately enough he began almost in babyhood, by rescuing himself. It happened thus. One day, when he had reached the immature age of five, he was left in the nursery for a few moments, in company with a wash-tub, in which his mother had been cleansing the household linen. Mrs. Brooke, it may be remarked, although in the middle ranks of life was very much below the middle ranks in financial prosperity, and had therefore to perform much household drudgery. "'Charlie's earnest desire to please and obey his mother "'constantly came into collision with that self-will to which we have referred. "'Separately these qualities may perhaps work quietly, "'at least as regards their possessor, "'but unitedly they form a mixture which is apt to become explosive in early youth. "'Don't touch the tub, Charlie. I'll be back directly,' said Mrs. Brooke, "'as she was leaving the nursery. Don't even go near it.' "'No, mother, I won't.' He spoke with much decision, for he adored water, not to drink, but to play with, and seemed to realize the danger of his position and the necessity for self-control. The temptation to avail himself of the chance, however, was almost too much for him. Feeling that an internal conflict was pending, he toddled to the fire, turned his back to it, à la paterfamilias, and glared at the tub, resolved, come what might, to be d'ud' but fate was against him. Suddenly he became aware that something more than radiated heat was operating in rear. He glanced behind. His cotton tunic was in flames. In the twinkling of an eye he was seated in the washtub, his hands clasped in horror as he thought of his guilt, and the flames thoroughly extinguished. The solemn glare and pursed mouth with which he met his mother's look of blank amazement may be imagined but cannot be described he looked so quiet too and so evidently contented for the warm water was congenial oh charlie did i not say that Yes, mother but i'm bunt. the fearsome and dripping black patch which presented itself to the agonized mother when she lifted him out of the tub sufficiently enlightened her and exonerated the child but her anxiety was not relieved till she had stripped him naked and ascertained for certain that no scrap of his fair skin had been injured this may be said to have been the real commencement of charlie brooke's career we mention it chiefly to show that our hero was gifted with some power of ready resource even in childhood he was also gifted with a fearless and daring disposition a quietly enthusiastic spirit a modest mien and a strong muscular body of course these admirable qualities were not fully developed in childhood but the seeds were there in due time the plants came up and the flowers bloomed. We would here caution the reader, especially the youthful reader, against supposing that from this point our hero was engaged in rescue work, and continued at it ever after without intermission. Like Samson, with his great strength, he exercised his powers only now and then, more than half unconscious of what was in him, and on many occasions without any definite purpose in view. His first act of heroism was exercised when he had reached the age of nine in behalf of a kitten. It was on a magnificent summer day, as soon as he had been sent to the village school, that the incident occurred. Charlie was walking at the time with one of his schoolfellows named Shank Leather. Shank was a little older than himself, and a good enough fellow in his way, but much given to boasting, and possessed of very few of the fine qualities that characterized our hero. The two were out for a holiday ramble, a long way from home, and had reached a river on the banks of which they sat down to enjoy their midday meal. The meal was simple and carried in their pockets. It consisted of two inch and a half thick slices of bread, with two lumps of cheese to match. "'I wish this river was nearer home,' said Shank Leather, as they sat down under a spreading oak to dine. "'Why?' asked his companion, with a fallacious brevity and straightforwardness which occasionally marked his conversation because then i would have a swim in it every day can you swim asked charlie a slight elevation of the eyebrows indicating surprise not unmingled with admiration for our hero was a hero worshipper he could not well have been a hero otherwise of course i can swim returned shank that is to say a little but i feel sure that i'll be a splendid swimmer some day his companion's look of admiration increased. "'What'll you take to drink?' asked Shank, drawing a large flask from the pocket in which he had concealed it up to that moment, with the express purpose of giving his companion a pleasant surprise. It may be well to add that the variety of dunks implied in his question was imaginary. Shank had only one flask, but in the exuberance of convivial generosity he quoted his own father, who was addicted to the bottle." "'What is it?' asked Brooke, in curious expectancy. "'Taste and see,' said his friend, uncorking the flask. "'Charlie tasted, but did not see, apparently, for he looked solemn and tasted again. "'It's licorice water,' said Shank. "'With the look of one who expects approval, I made it myself.' "'Nauseous in the extreme, it might have served the purpose of an emetic, "'had not the digestion of the boys been ostrich-like.' But on hearing how it came into existence, Charlie put it a third time to his lips, took a good gulp, and then, nodding his head as he wiped his mouth with his cuff, declared that it was wonderful. "'Yes, isn't it? There's not many fellows could make stuff like that.' "'No, indeed,' assented the other heartily, as he attacked the bread and cheese. "'Does your father know you made it?' "'Oh, yes, and he tasted it, too. He'd taste anything in the shape of a drink.' "'but he spat it out and then washed his mouth with brandy and water. "'Mother took some, too, and she said she had tasted worse drinks, "'and she only wished that Father would take to it. "'That made Father laugh heartily. "'Then I gave some to little May, and she said it was so nice. Ay, that was like little May,' remarked Charlie, with a quiet laugh. "'She'd say that a mess of tar and shoe-blocking was nice if you made it. "'But I say, Shank, let's see you swim. "'I'd give anything if I could swim. "'Do like a brick as you are.' "'There's a fine deep hole here under the bank.' "'He pointed to a pool in the river "'where the gurgling eddy is certainly indicated "'considerable depth of water, "'but his friend shook his head. "'No, Charlie,' he said, "'you don't understand the danger as I do. "'Don't you see that the water runs into the hole "'at such a rate that there's a tremendous eddy "'that would sweep any man off his legs?' "'But you're going to swim, you know,' "'interrupted his friend, "'and have got to be off your legs anyhow.' "'That's all you know,' returned the other. If a man's swept round by an eddy, don't you know, he'll be banged against things, and then the water rushes out of the hole with such a gush, and goes thunderin' down below, over boulders and stones, and—and and don't you see? That's true, Shank, it does look dangerous, even for a man that can swim. He put such emphasis on the man that his comrade glanced sharply at him, but the genuine innocence of our hero's face was too obvious to suggest irony. He simply saw that the use of the word man pleased his friend therefore he used it conversation was cut short at this point by the sudden appearance on the scene of two strangers a kitten and a dog the assertion that dogs delight to bark and bite is perhaps too sweeping but then it was made by a poet and poets have an acknowledged license though not necessarily a dog license certain it is however that this dog a mongrel cur did bark with savage delight and display all his teeth with an evident desire to bite, as it chased a delirious tortoise-shell kitten towards the river. It was a round, soft, lively kitten, with the hair on its little body sticking straight out, its heart in its mouth, and horror in its lively eyes. It made straight for the tree under which the dinner was going on. Both boys started up, enemies in front and rear. Even a human general might have stood appalled. Two courses were still open, right and left the kitten turned right and went wrong for that was the riverside no time for thought barking cur and yelling boys it reached the edge of the pool spread out all its legs with a caterwaul of despair and went headlong into the water shank leather gazed something like glee mingled with his look of consternation not so our hero pity was bursting his bosom with one magnificent bound he went into the pool caught the kitten in his right hand and carried it straight to the bottom next moment he reappeared on the surface wildly beating the water with one hand and holding the kitten in the other shank to do him justice plunged into the river up to his waist but his courage carried him no further there he stuck vainly holding on a hand and shouting for help but no help was near and it seemed as if the pair of strugglers were doomed to perish when a pitiful eddy swept them both out of the deep pool into the foaming rapid below. Shank followed them in howling despair, for here things looked ten times worse. His comrade being tossed from billow to breaker, was turned heels overhead, bumped against boulders, stranded on shallows, overturned and swept away again, but ever with the left arm beating wildly, and the right hand with the kitten held high in the air. But the danger, except from being dashed against the boulders, was not really as great as it seemed, for every time that Brooke got a foothold for an instant, or was driven on a rock, or was surged right end up on a shoot of water, he managed to gasp a little air, including a deal of water. The kitten, of course, had the same chances, and, being passive, perhaps suffered less. At the foot of the rapid they were whirled, as if contemptuously, into an eddy. Shank was there, as deep as he dared venture. He even pushed in up to the armpits, and, catching his comrade by the hair, dragged him to bank. "'Oh, Charlie, I've saved ye!' he exclaimed, as his friend crawled out and sat down. "Ay, and you've saved the kitten, too,' replied his friend, examining the poor animal. "'It's dead,' said Shank, dead as mutton. "'No, only stunned. No wonder, poor beast!' With tender care the rescuer squeezed the water from the fur of the rescued. Then, pulling open his vest and shirt, he was about to place the kitten in his bosom to warm it. "'No use doing that,' said Leather. "'You're as wet and nigh as cold as itself.' "'That's true. Sit down here,' returned Brooke, in a tone of command which surprised his comrade. "'Open your shirt.' Again Shank obeyed wonderingly next moment he gave a gasp as the cold wet creature was thrust into his warm bosom it makes me shiver all over he said never mind replied his friend coolly as he got up and wrung the water out of his own garments it's beginning to move charlie said shank after a few minutes give it here then the creature was indeed showing feeble symptoms of revival so brooke whose bosom was not only recovering its own heat but was beginning to warm the wet garments thrust it into his own breast and the two friends set off homeward at a run at the nearest house they made inquiry as to the owner of the kitten but failed to find one our hero therefore resolved to carry it home long before that haven was reached however his clothes were nearly dry and the rescued one was purring sweetly in childlike innocence all the horrors sufferings and agonies of the past forgotten apparently in the enjoyment of the present. End of chapter one.